First Church family. I am so excited to be here this morning, and I know we have plenty of people watching online, so if you would put your hands together and give a warm First Church welcome to those online. Welcome. Well, my name is Trotter. I am the high school minister here at First Church for the past year. My wife and I... uh, have been here for just over two years. You met Emily on stage with Chris just a second ago. And what many of you might not know is that two years ago, First Church was looking for a really qualified and amazing children's minister. And so they found my wife and then I just kind of got dragged along for the ride. And two years later, here I am. So it's been quite the journey, but I'm super excited to be here. I get to partner a lot with Chris, our junior high minister, who you also just met. So if you have a sixth through an eighth grader and you haven't met Chris, he's the one that you definitely need to connect to. Uh, So much wisdom that I get to learn from. Uh, And if you have any questions regarding uh, Next Gen, we have Amy and Shanna in our early childhood area. But the rest of us are if you are in the modern hymn service, you just look to your right and there our offices are. But if you are on site or if you're off site, our offices are right across from the gym and the student auditorium. That being said, I share an office with three other people. And in the summer, I share an office with four other people, including our summer intern. And depending on the time of day, it's five people whenever we get blessed with Zeb's presence. And if you ever met Zeb Myers and had a conversation with him, you know the conversations usually aren't short. So my unofficial second office is at Panera Bread, which some of you already know because I see a lot of you guys there, which is fun. Uh, but I'm so excited to be here. So first, if you would, if you take one of your hands, I need you guys to keep up the excitement. Take one of your hands, put them on your left shoulder. Now I need all of you guys to buckle up, okay? Even you, Modern Hymn Service, you better be doing it because God has been doing some amazing things this summer. I know you guys are going to get you know, up and get really excited, but raise your hand if you were involved in uh, any of our next-gen events this summer, whether you sent a kid, whether you volunteered to Kid Fest, Popsicles in the Park, Youth Quake Camp, go ahead and raise your hand nice and high. Then you all know firsthand the amazing things that God has done this summer. And if I could sum up this summer and what we learned, I would say this. There is no way the unexpected Jesus is the great I am, and yet he is. We kicked off this summer with kind of a big event called Kid Fest where Nathan and Emily had over 300 elementary kids here. And if you ever want this place to feel electric, you need to come during Kid Fest because they divided up the elementary kids into four groups. You had the red team, you had the yellow team, you had the blue team, and my, my personal favorite, the green machine, the green team over there. And the theme for Kid Fest was no way because God does stuff that makes us say, no way. Can I get an amen? And so uh, I would just like, if you weren't there, if you are there, take a look at this video from KidFest. Thank <laughs> you. 
It was an awesome, awesome time. And on the first day, like I said, the theme was no way. And on the first night, our kids learned that God makes a way when there seems to be no way. And to tell you this story, there was a boy who was born an Israelite, but the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. And this boy was named Moses, and mom hid Moses so that her baby boy wouldn't die. And so Moses went down a river, and Moses was adopted by the princess of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses was born an Israelite, but he was raised Egyptian. And later on in life, he uh, murdered an Egyptian trying to protect his own people. Well, word got out, and all of a sudden, he's a fugitive of the state, and he runs to this land called Midian. And in the land of Midian, he stays there for about 40 years, and he gets married. And in the opening chapters of Exodus, we meet Moses, and he's herding his father-in-law's sheep around a mountain. And he's going around this mountain, and then all of a sudden, something catches his eye. He sees this, this shrub. Well, that's not that abnormal. But the shrub is on fire. Also, maybe not that abnormal, but it's not burning up. And so Moses has a choice. He can either keep herding his sheep, but instead he says this. Scripture says, I must turn away and see this great sight. And so Moses comes, and then all of a sudden, this burning bush talks to him. He says, Moses, Moses. And he finds out that this burning bush is the presence of God. And God tells Moses, he says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt, the Israelites, and I want you to go rescue them for me. And Moses is like, me? And God's like, yeah, you. And Moses is like, no. And God's like, yes. And Moses is like, nuh-uh. And God's like, yeah, huh? And Moses is like, no way. And God's like, Yahweh. And so <laughs> Moses, Moses says, okay, 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 God. Okay, if I go to the people, who should I tell them sent me? Like, AKA, God, I know your name, but in case these people don't know your name, what should I say? And God tells him, he says, tell them I am. Tell them I am has sent you to them. In fact, I am will be my name forever. Because I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and I am and will forever and always be. So Moses goes to Egypt and he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. So then you have the 10 plagues, right? And so Moses does the 10 plagues. You guys know what those are. And well, in case you don't, it's the, it's the river of blood and you have the frogs jumping out. You guys know what they are, okay? And so he says, well, and then after the frogs, you know, you have the flies and the, and the lice and it's really gross, okay? So he goes to Pharaoh. Well, and then of course, you know, you have the, the pitch darkness and you have the hail and you have the locusts. Those are the 10 plagues. So he goes to Pharaoh. And he says, Pharaoh, well, since I've already said nine of them, so the last one, the most, one of the most important ones is the Passover. So if you don't have the dip the, dip the blood and the, have it on your doorpost, the angel uh, won't pass over and your fir firstborn's gonna die. So finally, Moses, now those are the 10, the 10 plagues. So he goes to Moses, or he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, get out of here. I've had enough of you. So Moses takes the Israelites and they they leave Egypt and they go into the wilderness and they come to the Red Sea. 
Well, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, except that Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's like, nuh-uh, they're not getting away with it. So he's coming, and he's going to go kill them. And all of a sudden, the Israelites are trapped between a rock and a wet place. And so Moses says, God, what should I do? And God tells Moses, he says, stretch out your staff, because God makes a way when there seems to be no way. So Moses stretches out his staff. It says a wind comes, and the wind parts the Red Sea. And I know we, we've heard this story uh, maybe a few times now, and sometimes it kind of loses its luster. Imagine if you're out on Skytook Lake or your favorite lake, and you are on a pontoon boat or a fishing boat or you're on a tube or whatever, and you're just sitting there, you know, drinking your nice Coca-Cola, and all of a sudden you, like, start feeling yourself adrift. You're like, wait a second, I thought I put that anchor in. And then you look down, and then, like, right next to you, maybe, like, I don't know, 50 feet, you just see little people walking across, and you're like, oh, maybe I've had one too many Coca-Colas, all right? Because this is amazing. God makes a way when there seems to be no way. And so the Israelites get to the other side, and, and they start celebrating just like we did at Kid Fest. And Moses tells the people, he hears a message from God, and he tells the people in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses continues, said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Sounds all right. Okay, prophet like Moses, someone who sends the 10 plagues, someone who rescues us from slavery. Sweet. Well, the person who followed Moses was Joshua. Joshua was a good leader, but he wasn't the one they were waiting for, and Joshua died. They get into the promised land, and the, then Gideon comes along. Gideon dies. And Samson, strong guy, he comes and then he dies. And so on and so forth. And they're waiting and they're waiting. And then Samuel comes along. Samuel's a good prophet. In fact, he anoints a king over Israel, a Saul. Well, Saul wasn't that good of a king. And Samuel dies. And then Saul dies. But then David comes. And David is known as a man after God's own heart. He's a good king. Sure, he made some mistakes, but he's a good king. And God makes this promise to David. And he says this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And your throne will be secure forever. As far as promises go, that's not a bad promise. So Moses, uh, David knows that, okay, his kingdom will last forever. And someone's going to sit on it that's going to be king forever. That's pretty good. Well, he has his son Solomon Solomon's powerful, he's rich, and he spreads the empire, but Solomon, towards the later end of his life, doesn't make very good choices, and Solomon dies, and then the nation splits in two, and then king after king just keep dying, and they're waiting. They have this expectation for a prophet like Moses and for a king like David, and they're waiting. And then another prophet, Isaiah, not the one they're waiting for, but he gives them hope. And he gives them this message from God. Isaiah chapter nine says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. That's important, remember that. Everlasting father, prince of peace. There's a lot of rulership language here. And his government and its peace will never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. So now they have this expectation. 
That he's going to be a wonderful counselor. And he's going to be a prince and he's going to be mighty. And they have this expectation of who this person is going to be. Isaiah dies. And then years and years and years pass and they're waiting. They're waiting for this awesome ruler. Maybe, maybe this king who's won so many battles, a true leader, someone mighty, someone powerful. And they, they might have this expectation in their mind. Maybe they have a picture of him. Maybe it looks something like this. I asked Chad to send me a picture of himself and that's what he sent me. <laughs> they have this expectation of who is going to come. But that's not who comes. It's someone they didn't expect. And at Sayokomo at camp from uh, elementary through senior high, the theme of camp was unexpected Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't who they were expecting. They were expecting this mighty ruler. Said this baby came. Gross little baby, born in a barn, poor parents, right? Grew up in Nazareth and Galilee. Not much going on there. Everyone knew his dad, Joseph. He was a carpenter. And he grew up and he was a carpenter and was probably decent at his job, I imagine. Year 20 comes along, still a carpenter. Year 25, still a carpenter. Then year 30 comes along. And this Jesus, this unexpected person, start saying some weird things. And in junior high camp, they learned about the Beatitudes that Jesus taught. When I was younger, I just thought the Beatitudes were like, you should have these attitudes, right? Well, a little snippet of information for you. The Beatitudes are, uh, comes from the Latin first two words of the Beatitudes, which is beatu, uh, which actually translates beautiful. So that's where we get Beatitudes, so the beautiful words of Jesus. And Jesus says some unexpected things. He says things like, people who are poor are the ones who are blessed. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, when you look out at the world and you see the suicide rate and you see the divorce rate and you see the opioid problem and you see fathers abandoning your, their kids and your, your heart just breaks and you look around and you feel like there's nothing you can do. Jesus said, hey, happy are you guys for you will be comforted. And you're like, what, when, where, how? Jesus said some more unexpected things. He said, the people who aren't the go-getters, the ones who are meek, those are the ones who will get the most out of this world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus said, I know the world says that nice guys get last, but actually, happy and blessed are the ones who regularly give out second chances. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is a scam. There's no way that this Jesus is saying all these things and he's the ruler we're all waiting for. He's this mighty person. There's no way. But God does stuff that makes us say no way. But Jesus took it a step further. He started saying stuff like that he is God. And so Jesus started saying these things and at Youthquake, we looked at the seven I am statements of Jesus. 
And in the book of John, which was originally written in Greek, the Greek word for I am is ego ami. Everyone say ego ami. You two modern hymn service, you better be saying it. All together, ego ami. All right, you all just claim to be God, so you guys need to repent of your sins, all right? Um, but Jesus is saying, I am, and then he fills in the blank. And you might be thinking, well, maybe Jesus is just like saying he is these things. No, Jesus is making a cultural reference that everyone understands. Everyone knows exactly what he is saying. It might not be the same, but it might be similar if I said, finish this sentence for me. We the people of the... Okay, good job, yeah. We the people of the United States of America. Or if I said, you're a grand old flag, you're a... Good job, all right? Way to stay awake this morning. So uh, these are making cultural references in your brain. I start a sentence and you guys fill in the blank. Or maybe something that more of you might know. Finish this one for me. No one told you life was gonna be... Okay, well, that's, that's not the one I was thinking for. I was going for uh, no one told you life was gonna be this way, but that works too, all right? So you all still made a connection for me, which is cool. Um, so either way, uh, you are making connections in your brain from culture for the last, at the latest, 250 years. Jesus is making a cultural reference over a 1,000 years? Yeah, people are getting the idea. Jesus is claiming to be God. And every time Jesus publicly said one of these I am statements, ego and me, it got him in trouble because every time Jesus claims to be God, it leaves people with a choice. It leaves people with a decision to be made. And at Youthquake, we had people who encountered this I am, this Jesus, and they made a choice. And we had a blast at Youthquake. Check out uh, this recap video from Youthquake. Others of you are still hungry. Others of you came to the mountain and you're searching. You don't even know why you're here. God said, come on, come to my mountain. I heard about Youthquake for the first time about 12 years ago. A friend of mine that was on staff at church uh, said, hey, we need some people to help us drive the vans up and get these teenagers up to the mountains. I'm really glad that I said yes. comes to mind when people say youthquake is just like camping in the mountains and just like getting to spend a week with your friends and worshiping God.
this year the experience has been definitely one of the best. It's definitely been the most challenging, but I've also been able to see God move in so many different incredible ways and just be able to see his creation more than ever. The expectations that I had of Youthquake when we first came up was that I was going to whitewater raft and I was going to climb a mountain. The expectations have changed in just that I know that I'm going to get to see the Creator and what He does with the kids up here. The Holy Spirit really works a lot up here. The kids get to really boil down and see what Jesus wants them to do in their lives. As I was getting baptized, it felt, it felt natural. It just felt right. And then I went under the water. Everything felt real. I know that because my relationship with Jesus, that he's going to guide me to heaven. No matter what I do, he, uh, he's taking my sins and my guilt and I'm forgiven and uh, I've been taken into heaven. It really was an awesome time in the mountains, uh, worshiping our creator in his creation. And like I said, our theme for Youthquake was I am. And like I said, every time Jesus publicly claimed to be God, it got him in trouble because it left him with a choice. And these seven I am statements are this. He says, I am the bread of life, which means I am the only one that will sustain you. He says, I am the light of the world, which means if you're not in Jesus, you're living in darkness. He said, I am the door of the sheep. There's only one door to the Father who's in heaven. He said, I am the good shepherd, which means we all need a shepherd, someone to guide us and lead us in this life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, which means there's a life after this one. Are you ready for it? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, uh, because there are many ways and paths in this world, but only one of them that leads to a life worth living. And he said, I am the true vine. There's lots of vines out there, but only the true vine will give you the fruit and the sustenance you need. And every time Jesus publicly said, ego and me, I am, he was saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's saying, I am the one who was speaking from the burning bush. I am the one who parted the Red Sea. I am the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the one you are waiting for. I am the expected Savior. And one of the times it's most evident when Jesus makes this claim publicly is the first time. In John chapter six, right before this, he has just done feeding the 5,000 and uh, with the bread and the fish. <clears throat> and he feeds the 5,000 and then he goes away. And all these people come to him and they're like, Jesus, we want more. And Jesus said, no, no, no. What you need is you need true bread. And he said, I am the bread of life. 
And they made the connection in their mind of what he was saying. And in John chapter six, it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Jesus is either the best preacher or he's the worst preacher if only 12 people are staying after his message. But Jesus understands. He leaves his audience with a choice. You either follow him or you don't. You either live in light or you live in darkness. But I love what Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Amen. And if you are a believer today, Jesus is asking you the same question. Are you also going to leave? And we get to have the same response as Landon. We get to have the same response as his disciples. We say, Lord, to whom would we go? Because you are the only one with the words of eternal life. But if you haven't made Jesus the king and the ruler of your life, you might be thinking, I know, <clears throat> I know that Jesus is a historical person. No one, no one argues that. No one argues that Jesus wasn't a real person who died on a cross. But the light of the world, the, the bread of life, the one who parts the Red Sea and speaks from burning bushes, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, I don't know about that. And I get it. I get where you're coming from. I'm from uh, Missouri, and Missouri is known as the show me state. We like things to be proven, right? It's all right. And uh, there's, there's just no way that this unexpected Jesus is the great I am. He needs to prove it. Well, after claiming to be God enough time, the, the Jewish leaders finally get so upset that they go over and they arrest him at nighttime so no one knows about it. And they take him and they put him on trial at nighttime so no one knows about it. And they say, he's guilty. And so they take him before Pilate, the actual ruler of the Jews, because Pilate was a Roman and the Jews were under Roman control. And they say, Pilate, you need to crucify Jesus and kill him. Otherwise, we're going to riot. And Pilate's like, well, I don't want that. Go ahead and kill him. So they take Jesus and they nail him on a cross, and he is dead. He is gone. There is no breath coming out of his mouth. There is no heartbeat in his chest. He is dead, gone, dunzo, deader than a doornail. Jesus is dead. And they take him off the cross, and they bury him in a tomb. But guess what? Jesus proved it. He proved that he was the bread of life. He proved that he was the light of the world. He proved that he was the door to the sheep. He proved that he is the good shepherd and the resurrection in the life. He proved that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He proved that he is the true vine. He proved that he was the ego and me, the great I am. Because God does stuff that make us say, no way. And we might say, there is no way that this unexpected Jesus is the great I am. And yet he is because he proved it. Because on Sunday morning, at break of dawn, the Son of Man rose from the tomb. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar with Christ the King. And Jesus, the risen King, gives us a choice. We can either walk away from him, we can live in darkness, we can try to figure it out on our own, or we can have the same words 
as generations and generations before us, when we see Jesus and we say, where else would we go? For you have the words of eternal life. No way that the unexpected Jesus is the great I am. And yet, he is. How are you going to respond? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much that he is the great I am, the one who is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Thank you that he came in a way that we didn't expect. So much better and greater than we could have imagined. Thank you for giving us a choice to follow you. And it's in his son's name, the one who sustains us, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the true vine. It's in his name, Jesus Christ. I pray all these things. Amen.